podcast, The Final Frontier. These are the conversations of the friendship Matt Myra and Andrew Secunda. Their continuing mission. To seek out old adventures with contrived civilizations. To boldly watch episodes that one of them has watched before. Hey everyone, welcome to Star Trek The Next Conversation. It's season six, the best podcast to be listening to Star Trek content for i've run out of things to say i'm <laughs> i'm andy uh i don't know where that was going I, I could see that i had made a wrong turn and then i was like oh this path might lead me back into sounding like i knew what i was saying and that's been uh, in i saw the path mode and i ran out of uh i ran out of steam there's no gas left in the car and i was like well you know what i'll just abandon ship say my name and then andy will say a word Matt's uh, been in full Geordie mode just before we uh, we started. You know, he's been rewiring things. He's been uh, clicking on boards. He's uh, been uh, so running many, around the room. So many different things happening here for this podcast to, uh, I would say, haphazardly make its way to you. There was a request, and I don't remember if it was in the Patreon or on the uh, Twitter feed, but uh, to see what the the chaos of his soundboard looked like. Uh, so I'm going to be sending it out. Oh my god! You'll see, I have, you'll see all the windows there in, t- in in order. Here's how it would go if you're going to look at that picture. It goes soundboard on the top of the screen on the left. Below the screen, below the soundboard on the left side is the number one song of the week. Below the so- soundboard on the right is Frank Sinatra's song. On the other screen, Andy is in a window with me over here on the top left. On the top right is the w- episode we're watching. Underneath Andy and I is Larry Nemechek's Star Trek The Next Conversation Kindle Edition. And then on the right of that is the audio program loopback that I use to reroute all of the fucking bullshit audio signals. So there you go. That's what's up constantly. It's uh, I don't know if you've uh, if you've all watched season two of Discovery, but it's like the inside of Michael Burnham's helmet. So anyway, I think in the picture that Whew. you picked, uh, it's going to be a, a looking me looking incredibly focused on something about the well, hails. Just just getting it, you know, just doing that doing that fun Andy Secunda deep deep focus on the work at hand, which is the hail bag. So uh, before Actually, that not, gets out of the way, what what not the, that different from the uh, caricature of us uh, with uh, with me staring hard, except I'm staring at a replicator in the uh, well. Of course, face you needed it to make good pizza. Sure. <laughs> how I would love to know how the pizza stacks up on the Enterprise in the replicator. <laughs> well, I bet you know. I bet it's better than. I bet other ships have shittier replicator systems. Like, I bet there's like different versions, and like, theirs has the best software update. Here's my guess. I think it's like not up to when you have your favorite pizza place. <laughs> really thought you were gonna say. I think it's like jazz baby (laughs) (laughs) it is a little bit it's the same thing of like if you had a computer figure out jazz it'd be like oh yeah that's entertaining but you would miss a little bit of the magic i think like it's like when you think about uh i gotta go back to that one pizza place like even defara's when it's not made by dom demarco when Mm -hmm. he's off that day it's real good but it's not the same thing and I kind of feel like that's the distinction between the replicator and on the Enterprise versus made. say another ship. Yeah. Or you no, saying meant, a replicator versus real food? A replicator versus real food. So we can get it as as well. It, you, you're saying a replicator can do it like has all the best ingredients available, but just can't quite assemble them the right way. 
There's a jazz that's missing. (laughs) (laughs) That's jazz, baby. All right, Andy, let's uh, hear what I think of this episode uh, by answering the question some people still like to hear. Matt, would you have them watch this episode? Yeah, I mean, it's Barkley. What else do you want? Nicely timed. There you go. Um, So that's what I think about that. And other than that, Andy, shall we head over to the Admirals Club? Let's do it. Go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, and join the Admirals Club. Matt, how do they get into the Admirals Club? Well, you head over to Apple Podcasts, you leave a five-star review. doesn't matter what it says. As long as it's five stars, you're good to go. God, I feel like uh, Larry, I feel like Larry King over here from 1978. Because of the mic, just the smoke bur- burrowing into the microphone as I talk. <laughs> I like it. It gives the show a real vintage radio feel. Oh, it feels like vintage radio, baby. It's jazz. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you, we are not jazz unless it's we are it's not. A, Unless it's a jazz trio with like two broken instruments in second, second podcast <laughs> recording in a row, I'm standing. How do you, how's it feel for you? Uh, right now it's good. I'm sure like midway through, you know, uh, Barkley's second conversation with Troy, I'll be like, I need to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh-huh. who are the admirals this week, Andy? Well, uh, there's only one. And uh, ironically, even though I asked you to explain it, uh, this one is from Stitcher. A uh, friend uh, fr- of the pod sent in a picture of his review on Stitcher. That counts. If you have review. a platform you listen to us on and you want to write a five-star review there, uh, take a screenshot and email it over to our email address. Pod at gmail. Our email address. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't know. No. Uh, and, it's, and it's from uh, Lieutenant Joseph Parker, who's also uh, one of our Patreon supporters, uh, who says, Secunda, if Jerry Seinfeld and George Costanza did a podcast about Star Trek The Next Generation, it would be this. In other words, pretty freaking awesome. Oh, that is very high praise over there from Stitcher. Such high praise. Uh, thank you. I don't you. want to pull apart which one of us. I have a feeling I'd be Costanza. But um, what are you going to do? I don't know. Um, Costanza was a beloved character. We're you know? both Costanza-esque, honestly. It is like two Costanzas. <laughs> Although I do have a love of, uh, of European automobiles, so maybe I yeah. got that Seinfeld in me. And I did stand-up. You did do stand-up. Mm. Um, and, and Andy would complain about not getting the Ted Danson jet. <laughs> It also seems more likely that uh, Costanza would be talking about food, although we would both be talking about food. Sure. Absolutely. Wait, what's the Ted Jan- who, what's the Ted? Remember, remember when they were pitching the show to NBC in like yeah. season four? Uh-huh. And they were, and George was like so upset that Littlefield didn't send them the, the NBC jet. <laughs> I don't remember that. And he was That's like, hey, I, he's like, I bet Ted Danson gets the jet. Why don't we get the jet? <laughs> It's so amazing. I so. love the self-destructiveness. <laughs> yes. That's certainly like And me. Jerry's like, don't say anything about the jet. <laughs> of course he does. Uh, all right. That's a two-parter, that episode. Remember that? Yeah. That was that, a great one. That's man. one where we actually see them do the show, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. Um... Well, anyway, uh, we can step into the... Uh, we're, we're done with the Admiral's Club. We can step into the President's Circle. And that was the Admiral's Club. The United Federation.
Here we are. It's the President's Circle. If you'd like to gain entry to this prestigious club, head over to patreon.com forward slash Star Trek TNC and become a member. If you're like, boy, I wish there was more content. Guess what? There's plenty of content. In fact, by the time you hear this, if you head over, if you head over there at the $5 level or at the President's Circle level, uh, there's a three-hour episode about the last season finale of Star Trek Discovery waiting for you. So Three hours. Pretty... We pretty, ourselves were shocked. Pretty good that it was only three hours. <laughs> <laughs> those then, those Discovery ones, uh, we foolishly, I think, just... Uh, I, I would say... Uh, selfishly wanted to get through season two. Yeah. So, so we were like, let's do two. two. At a time. Yeah. <laughs> Not thinking, we'll talk about two for the exact amount of time we'd talk about <laughs> them if they were separate episodes. Anyway, so it's a three-hour episode. That's out this month. Uh, and uh, later this month, uh, for the uh, President Circle members, you'll be getting three more podcasts. Uh, Lieutenant's level, you'll be getting an episode of us watching Enterprise. And then the presidents will be getting a, the next Marvel movie entry and Ooh, also Spider-Man. Voyager. Spider-Man Far From right. Home and Voyager. All right, Andy. Tell, do you want to tell them about the Christopher Pike Medal of Valor? Christopher Pike Medal of Valor is awarded to uh, one of the priority one messages we get every week in the Patreon. We single one uh, one or two out and uh, award them a, a fictional medal for your fictional love of us. And uh, your messages in the Patreon get special attention, a.k.a. everything is red that comes in. But uh, you get a little preference. Uh, and here are Christopher Pike Medal of Valor awardees. Uh, we have two of them this, w- this uh, week. Our first is Lieutenant Eric Peoples, who writes, If you're recording the show from the corridors of the ship, does that mean they were mowing the carpets? Do the <laughs> carpets continuously grow, keeping them plush and never worn down? Uh, actually, it, it's uh, weirdly, it calms... What you're hearing is Captain Picard uh-huh. in the holodeck. The holodeck door opens, and uh, he's on the vineyard, uh, and they're, they're landscaping the vineyard. It's his calming place. Oh, Nice. It's it's interesting that he set the uh, the mowers to be that loud and intrusive. Well, he just wanted to feel closer to his uh, ancestors. Fair. Um, and our second Christopher Pike Medal of Valor awardee is Lieutenant CR, who writes us, As someone who's watched very little Trek, but a lot of the X-Files as a kid, I could only imagine Samuel Clements walking around in a suit and trench coat, even with that old-timey twang. I know Andy has mentioned wondering if anyone listening has, uh, hasn't watched Trek, uh, but I've only seen a couple of the movies and that one episode of TNG where Q gave Riker powers. Uh, despite <laughs> What a <laughs> weird strange, one to watch. It is a weird one to watch. Despite that, I not only listen, uh, now I'm a president. Uh, okay, not a president. Anyway, I have a lot of time to listen to podcasts during work. I groom dogs, and I've found that listening to the summary and discussion is close to watching an episode with friends. It really and is. I, and I now know so much about Frank Sinatra. There you go. I think we all know more about what Sinatra did in the 90s than Frank did. Thank you, Lieutenant CR, for your support and for taking care of those puppies. <laughs> here, here. Uh, uh, now we're in the Priority One messages proper. We sure are. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Lieutenant J.J. Carter writes us, Can we just appreciate, this is now we're talking about Time's Arrow Part 2, 
Can we just appreciate what a jerk Picard is in the scene where they're boarding, uh, we're in the boarding house talking about the cane. You see two women visibly uncomfortable because they're strapped so tight into corsets and can hardly breathe while their organs are being crushed. Then we cut to a shot of Picard in the loosest, most comfortable looking shirt ever, unbuttoned, <laughs> letting his captainly chest hair out and splayed out in his rocking chair. Sorry you can't breathe or run without fainting, Beverly, uh, but have you seen how comfortable I am? Jerk. <laughs> anyway, one of my favorite episodes, I, uh, I love you, Matt and Andy. Oh, wait. Oh, th- one of my favorite episodes... Love you, Matt and Andy. I oh. love you. I added the I, and it and it sort of pushes the uh, the sentiment just one step farther than uh, than JJ might have been willing. Well, to my question it. is like favorite episodes of TNG or, or of our podcast. Good question. <laughs> That's you got to rewrite. You got to send another priority one message for next week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so curious. Clarify it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Lieutenant Erica Vanover writes us, uh, I write this as a constant student of Southern fiction and a devotee of the works of Mark Twain. I just wanted that actor to shut the hell up. He <laughs> sounded like a Scooby-Doo villain. <laughs> he really did. Um, he really they were, did. They were going to peel the mask off and realize he was uh, deep throat. <laughs> Would have gotten away with it. You did too if you weren't for you meddling TNG crew. Uh, Why would you call us a TNG crew, sir? I know. You're meddling future people. (laughs) There you go. Thank you. All right, sometimes you need a rewrite. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Favorite story about Mark Twain, Erica continues. Uh, He couldn't stand Jane Austen's writing and uh, her neatly tied up endings. He said her writing made him want to dig up her grave, take her arm, and beat her over the head with it. Oh. Fun. Just a strong opinion, Mark Twain. You know what? That seems to suit the character portrayal. Yeah, it's true. He's always waving guns and getting in people's business. Lieutenant Jason Randall writes us, As a kid, I loved Mark Twain books and was fascinated by Sam Clements. When I saw Times Arrow 1 and 2, I recall hating him immediately. (laughs) Rewatching these episodes nearly 30 years later, I made the right call. Hashtag (laughs) dickwagon. Dickwagon. That's a fun (laughs) hashtag. Let's see if we can uh, get it to trend, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant Anthony Rideout. I don't know if you've ever given me the pronunciation, Anthony. Yeah, yeah that's I correct. apologize. We ride it out with Anthony Rideout. Come on. Dear Andy and Matt, uh, one thing that has always bothered me uh, about one of my favorite Starfleet doctors, Beverly Crusher. Sorry, Dr. Culber. Uh, cue the Tony needs a boyfriend jingle. Uh, is her uh, insignia com badge. Shouldn't it be attached to her uniform proper under her medical jacket like every other officer? It seems to move from her uniform to her jacket from episode to episode. Thank you for both the trekkiness and laughter through the you know, int- this I've interesting I've never times. noticed that. That's a fun thing I'm now going to look for, and it will now annoy the shit out of me. Thanks for introducing one more thing into my life that I can be annoyed by. I wonder what John Cooley's take is on that one. Great question. John, you still out there listening? Or are you busy designing awesome things? Okay, next. Lieutenant Commander Cosmo Moore writes us, of the four cliffhanger episodes of The Next Generation you guys have seen so far, which one has the best second half? I always found the second half of Best of Both Worlds disappointing. I don't think any of them really stick the landing, deliver on the promise of the first uh, setup of the first half. Maybe the Spock episode? I don't, first of all, I don't agree about Best of Both Worlds. I feel like, I, I mean, granted, the first part is so amazing, but... I feel like the whole second episode is when they kidnap him and uh, everything. Yeah, I think sticking the landing wise, I think I gotta give it to Best of Both Worlds uh, of the of the three we've seen. Um, Which yeah. is the Tasha, uh, not the Tasha Yar, the uh, the Romulan daughter. Which one was that one? That's the Spock one. 
Oh, that is the Spock one. Yeah, yeah that one was. That's good. But that's not a season finale, I don't believe. Isn't it? Is oh, it? we're just saying two-parters. Yeah, okay. Two-parters in general so no, far? No, no. He, well, he says, he says of the four cliffhanger episodes. So he's well, not then that's my answer. Right. The, the Spock one. No. Oh, best of both that's worlds. That's not a cliffhanger. Right. Oh, yeah. Good point. Well, I hope that that was a satisfying answer. (laughs) 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 That mess addressed your question. Lieutenant Impatient Jeff writes us, what other time periods should the crew have traveled to? I am voting the 70s. I mean, Worf, Geordi, and Data trying to blend in at a disco and Riker dancing the night away and doing the Travolta walk. Think of the hijinks and Data experiencing 70s culture to the crew. Uh, This actually surprised me reading this that they never did. I guess they wouldn't have in the original TOS, obviously. Yeah, it would have been the slight happened future. Um, and, uh, but I'm surprised they never did in DS9. That seems like that would have been a gimme. At DS9, they go to the 50s. They go to the 50s. See, yeah. now here's the thing that I was going to propose to you. I bet you would have loved them going back and running into the Beatles. Into the, running into the Beatles? No. It would have been like watching fucking uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand, where I'm like, ugh, Zemeckis, what are you doing? I see. Just, just sort of a fake o Beatles. That yeah, I'm like satisfying. I don't want that. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, where would you have liked them to go? I, I the '70s works for me. Uh, I also would have liked something more akin to, um, you know, because like you got like piece of the action. You get like the '40s. You get the hippie love child stuff in a couple of the episodes of uh, TOS. You have the one where they uh, sort of go back to Nazi yeah. Germany, the you fake get, Nazi Germany. Yeah, you get the early Roman times. Yeah. Um, in Star Trek IV, I, I think it would have, in the 90s, you get in Voyager, and I think it would have been cool. I think I think the 70s is probably a great answer. I'm going to stick with the 70s. And they got Old West. And they, there's an Old West one coming in... Uh, a in fucking terrible episode called A Fistful of Datas. Yep. <laughs> it's not, not good? Oh, no. Uh, Lieutenant James Maniero... I don't know if that's what it is, but that's the way I'm saying it. Uh, I just started watching Outlander the day before the episode came out, so I was amused to hear Mary Myra's voice hail. I (laughs) can say it's pretty good so far, but it does alarm me sometimes that the lead character is not at all concerned about following the Temporal Prime Directive. No, I think nurses, that's not their concern. No. Their concern is... Just saving people. ...is uh, helping uh, those who need help. Saving people is often the opposite of the temporal prime directives well depends on if you're well what if your time incursion caused this situation and they're not supposed to die then you better save them yeah hence hence uh sitting on the edge of forever uh lieutenant frederick rombouts writes us the opposite andy that's you better let them die that's what i was saying accidentally save them right that's what i was saying uh wasn't that what you were saying no i was saying if you going back into the past cause someone to die who was not supposed oh, to I die see. you gotcha. must let them die gotcha but w- that's but that's what Edith Keeler is isn't it no Kirk saves her Kirk because saves her because she was supposed to die Kirk. she was supposed to be run over yes but Kirk saves her it's not his fault that she got run over he ruins the timeline by saving her oh that's but it's <laughs> That's Isn't the that what you're saying? No. Is it, are you saying if you save somebody that you didn't mean no, to no, save? No, 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 no. I'm saying if in that episode Kirk was driving the car and it killed her. I know, but she was supposed to die through other means. No. She? No. 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 That was when she was supposed to die. And he saved her. 
What I'm saying is if him going back, he accidentally okay. killed her. Oh, I see, I see. That's okay. the, uh, yeah. Gotcha. You know, time travel, guys. I'm so tired of talking about time travel, but... Well, we you go. got some more hail, so you better, better buckle up for him. Fuck. <laughs> uh, so Frederick has a couple of points. One, uh, the other misleading trailer, you guys, were th- we were trying to figure out what the other misleading trailer was we were watching yeah. recently. Uh, the other misleading trailer you guys were thinking of was, funnily enough, the first Barkley episode, Hollow Pursuits, when the B-plot of the shipwide systems failures uh, apparently made for a more exciting trailer than the foibles of a holodeck-addicted, socially <laughs> sure. awkward, underperforming officer. That makes sense. And two, uh, Times Arrow Part 2 apparently implies that they couldn't activate Data's head without a body attached to it. But in Disaster, we see Data's head activated independent from his body. Oh, no, Why I think, then? I think Data's head was shorted out from the, elect- the electricity that went through him from the time snake. But they... It was a short react- out. It, it wasn't like a de- detach my head and power it up. But they reactivate it. Yeah, Jordy fixes it. Couldn't they have fixed it earlier? Why would they want to bring back the other data? Well, here's the here's the reason. Because then they have uh, to ask. But then they ask it what happened, and That's data right. data would be bound to Starfleet rules. He wouldn't be able to tell them. He'd be pulling a Guinan on them. You have It'd a habit of trying to guess what the end of the hail is that then prevents them from saying their hail. Why they then couldn't they just activate the five hundred year old head when they found it? Ask him what happened. Or oh. if the 500-year-old data really did need a body to work for some reason, why not temporarily detach 24th century present-day data's head, plug in the old head into that body? Even better, leave present-day data's head decapitated, held active while they activate 500-year-old data's head on his body, and then watch them converse together. Either way, this is an, uh, this is an audience broke it moment. Now, your take, Matt, is that yes. he would have, it wouldn't have served anything. He would to- not. No, he would not have told them. What happened? Because the prime directive would have prevented him. Well, the temporal directive. Temporal directive. He can't. He can't then cause events to not flow the way they were naturally supposed to go. But wouldn't, based on Data's attitude in that episode, wouldn't his attitude have been, "Well, I always told you, because it happens." Would his a- attitude have been that? I don't like know. Like, he can't break the temporal prime directive because he would have ended up dead in the past. Well, therefore... that's the Guinan argument, right? Right. Which is not correct. Guinan correctly says to Riker, I can't tell you what happened because it might change the way you act now. Right. It seems like there's a lot of conflicting takes on time Time travel because i don't it's ridiculous i'm tired of talking about time travel because we've just been in like a slew of time travel bullshit with all the stuff we've been watching and every what's weird is like every single version of it that we're watching has a different take on what time travel is so you can't like you just gotta you mix up like 400 different ways time travel would work and it's just like uh, let's just go with the way time travel works in star trek the next generation that two-parter my thought is that Data would not say what happened for fear of altering the actual outcome. That Thank you. Seems that seems uh, because if, if Data were to tell them, because he was already embracing. No, no, no. Death. Here's here's how it works. If Data were to tell them what had happened, Data's yeah. fear would be that then the head would not get left there. They would alter the course of time, which would cause a temporal paradox. If Data I don't think told that would them be what as- happened. 
I don't think that would be his take because he seems at peace with the fact that he dies at the beginning of part I one. I don't think that he's worried about preventing his death. I think he's worried about preventing a, a breakdown of, of the future. I understand, but he's, he still seems like he's saying to everyone, I don't know what we're all talking about because I'm going to die. There's no a, a, avoiding look, it. Look, go back to Matter of Time, right? Established okay. canon in the Star Trek universe. This guy who pretends to be from the future comes back to witness this historical event on the Enterprise. R- Picard keeps bringing up the fact that he cannot tell him. Correct. You cannot tell me what happened. I understand that you can't tell me what happens. I right. understand that you can't tell me what you're going to do. I'm Captain Picard. I'm fucking Chief Starfleet. Right. Data is programmed with the same shit. Data has that moral uh, sub-program that Noonien Sung put in there. So what I'm saying to you is, if you were to reactivate Data, Data would not be able to tell you what happened. (laughs) All right. And it would be frustrating, and Picard and Riker would be like, Data, you have to tell me. And he'd pull a guy in and go, if I tell you, then things will not happen that need to happen. you argue with him. I can't talk to this guy. Uh, I argue. I mean, what I'm saying is a fact. I'm just taking the, the established canon of Star Trek The Next Generation and using it to debunk the thought that data could be activated and tell you what was happening well maybe one of the other nine hails about time travel will disagree with you let's okay, see go for it lieutenant this is not about time travel lieutenant teddy jordan writes us uh some things that never made sense about data wanting to die so he can experience mortality is that he should be smart enough to realize that even if he lives a long time he's going to die eventually he's not immortal just very dur- sorry he's not immortal just very durable and the distinction between eternity and a long time isn't lost on him he expects to live longer than a human already and it would be dumb for him to want to limit his lifespan to a human one seeing as how we're one of the shorter lived species Past that, Vulcans live well over 200 years. El Orians uh, are at least 500, if not much longer. And the Baku, uh, before someone says it, yes, they're human, but still, could be technically uh, could could technically live forever as they stayed on their planet. Um, he wouldn't consider any of these species immortal. Why doesn't this compute for him? Yeah, I don't think the Baku are human, but they're definitely humanoid. They're one of those classic Star Trek races that looks not at all different from humans. But yes. Uh, that interphasic radiation on the on the in that planet would allow them to live uh, potentially forever. Yeah, um, anyway. I do well, agree with the general sort of sentiment of it seems arbitrary. Also, a because hard when when data sort of like, but I've always longed for this. It's like, well, who decides when it's time? Well, I mean, that's sort of it, right? That's the moral. You're gonna quandary. not exist eventually. And also, I think it's interesting to, to uh, I think the whole thing with, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything in Picard, so I don't know if I can really answer this in a, in a, in a satisfactory way. Can but what I will say it? is soon program data to, have an, uh, to age, to have an aging program. So um, there is perhaps, yeah. there is a, there, maybe there is a clock on that. Data doesn't know. I think it's fair. Um, Lieutenant Adam Rogers writes us, I know we're past this, but the reason the thing with Data's head and the alien in the cave seems funny is probably because it's a grandfather paradox. Here we're in it. Data goes into that cave at the time because they found his head on Earth. At that time, because they found his head on Earth. 
but they find his head on Earth because he went to the cave at that time. It's an easy trap to fall into in time travel stories. City on the Edge of Forever is one, too. As McCoy saving Edith Keeler means there's no Starfleet, but if there's no Starfleet, he couldn't have gone back to save her. Take-home lesson. This is pretty much what you were saying, uh, Matt. Time travel is a pain in the ass. Thank you. Thank you for agreeing. Okay. Lieutenant Commander Mullins writes us a few quick things. Uh... At 2.22, when Clemens is telling the reporter about the people from the future, there's a great Easter egg. The ad on the light pole says, Okudas grow seeds. That's nice. And number two, uh, you talked about the policeman asking Jordy, where'd you get that? That's a gentleman's cane. I always took that as the cop being racist. Um, and oh, I, it, Probably. It didn't occur to me, but then other people piped in uh, in the Patreon that they also thought that, and it totally makes sense. Although yeah. I wonder I didn't want to if they were going to go... If they were going to go down that path, why didn't they make it clearer? I wonder. Uh, science fiction is subtle. Mm-hmm. That's that's very generous. <laughs> um, and then number three, uh, Lieutenant Commander Mullins writes us, uh, my wife thinks there's a strong romantic or sexual tension between Picard and Guinan in both centuries. Every yeah. conversation in this two-parter is dripping with anticipation. Just as Troy and Riker are probably still hooking up in the Enterprise, maybe Guinan was on the ship for a similar reason. And, of course, they find each other in a nexus. I know Matt doesn't want a series uh, that goes backwards in time, but maybe they'll flesh out some history when Guinan appears in season two of Picard. I would love it. Oh, I don't mind that if, if Guinan shows up, you know, present day to Picard, Guinan shows up and sure. is, like, weirded out by this version of Picard. Yeah. No spoilers. I would, I would love to hear, I would love to hear uh, Guinan's take on modern-day Picard. Um, and that... Is it for the Priority One messages? Let's step into the hall and take a look in the hill. Captain, we are being hailed. Matt, we have a voice hail if you want to hit it. Is it, uh, is it, what is it? Where is it? It should be in today's sounds. Oh, the folder I didn't go into. Oh, yeah, yeah. Andy correctly put it where it was supposed to go, hail. and Matt didn't look in the right spot. Classic me voice. Uh, this I can, is the, I can read this the, is the voicemail, one, right? This is the voice hell, yeah. Okay. Uh, let me bring this over to the soundboard. If you would like to send in a voice hail, uh, please Everyone uh, call can hear in this to. For Andy, hang on. Let me just put this where it belongs, and then we'll call it a week. Just Here we go. Tell me when it's done. Go ahead, send the voice hail. Send the, tell them where to go. Uh, SDTNC. Wait, eight one six Trek TNC. <laughs> I don't know anything. We've only been doing this for hundreds of episodes. <laughs> All right, call that number and leave a voicemail. Yep. Hi guys, this is Jason or Vice President Jason. I guess I'm not going to say I'm the president. Who knows? Maybe the <laughs> it's Emperor. Just weirdly Either taking way, Vice um, President. I have some questions for Matt uh, and Andy. Even though you're the guy that answers the phone here for Times Arrow. Uh, this is an inside baseball question here, maybe for both of you can get it. If you're shooting a TV show that ends in a cliffhanger for the season that seems to be so heavily involved with alternate sets and a guest star, do you film that in the same time you're filming the other one? So you have it on deck to start the season, or do you risk having trouble getting everyone back and where you need to do so you can finish the story? That's something I'd like to know. And then this one is more for Matt. Matt, did it when you were a kid watching this? Did it also strike you that the guy playing Samuel Clemens 
was only slightly better than Woody's version of Samuel Clemens <laughs> from Cheers when he got the part in the show. Just wanted to find out. Thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate you doing this. Bye. Love a love a deep Cheers cut, and uh, you know I always thought the pinnacle. You know what's funny is I had I had seen the one man show uh, at by that point because they used to run it on PBS, so. I thought that the one-man show of of uh, of Twain was like the pinnacle of Twain. <laughs> so I thought this 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 Hal Holbrook situation. I didn't care for it. Uh, now back to the question about cliffhangers. Uh, f- I would assume what they did was just block out the dates for those for the actor availability. I think my uh, yeah, I would agree. I think my take is that because Star Trek was sort of run in this weird independent way and uh and it and it was uh and they sort of knew that they were going to be coming back and everything I feel like this one they would have shot altogether but I do feel like sometimes in television you can clearly see when there's a big two-parter and they go into the second part like you can tell people are a little bit older the hair is different like there's just marginal differences when it's supposed to be continuous Puffier because they face, didn't know if it was coming back and they didn't want to spend the budget on the end next yeah, season. Yeah, uh, well, this one, I, in Star Trek, I don't think they write the second parts until they're back on the writer's, at the writer's retreat. So, and also I would say because of the 26-episode schedule of Star Trek, I would assume that their hiatus was probably only a month and a half. Right. So oh, really? wouldn't be that hard to block out the actor schedule which would be my guess as to how that worked because from what you know there's always staff changes always someone else writing the second part it's it's hard to produce an episode for season seven on the tales of episode six budgetarily budgetarily wise right so my Um, guess is they just locked up actor availabilities so there you go uh and the uh uh, here's another hail. Uh, Times Arrow 2, uh, colon. Yes, they could tell you if the plan would work. Um, this is from Sante Mastriana. Um, hey, Matt and Andy, after Mark Twain goes back in time, Worf says, there's no way we could know, there's no way we could know he was successful. But couldn't they have just looked up when Mark Twain died or if he published any books after that date? Jeez, some tactical officer. Um, side <laughs> he's, note. Not, he's not the ship's librarian. Come on. <laughs> side note, I demand that Dr. Sung and Mark Twain return to the podcast. For the latter, uh, he can even have his own segment. I submit Twain's takes. <laughs> uh, other side note, uh, Frank Sinatra, come on, is legitimately my favorite segment in all podcasts. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Asante Absolutely Mastriana. the stupidest. Thank you for writing in and uh, appreciating our, our stupidity. I don't even remember what we did for Mark Twain. <laughs> was it just him? It was just him. <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's how you do a Mark Twain. Gotcha. Uh, this infernal t- radio show you can play in your pocket. <laughs> uh, Times Arrow Part 2, Time Travel and Star Trek. Okay, here we go. Uh, this is from Kurt Onstad. I enjoy your discussion in the Priority One messages about time travel and predetermination. Predeterminization. Oh, predeterminism. Thank you. Um, time travel is one of my favorite story tropes and even did a podcast about uh, of my own about some of the more popular movies including involving time travel and how they work 
Uh, that is from Geek Town. Go feel free to go check it out. Um, Star Trek usually does a predeterministic rule of time travel. See the episode mm-hmm. uh, Assignment Earth and City, Edge City on. Oh, sorry, Assignment Earth and City on the Edge of Forever from the yep. original T series series. Uh, the other trope they pull out is that changes in time create a parallel universe. See parallels the uh, 09 Star Trek movie and others. Those two aren't necessarily in contradiction with one another. If you live in parallel universes with the change, then from your point of view, then that change always happened. It was meant to be. Occasionally, you can see the parallel universe that has been created while you are unchanged, such as in the first Contact movie, where the Enterprise sees the alternate future where Earth has been assimilated. Right. The one... Uh, episode that totally breaks all these rules is yesterday's Enterprise. In that episode, the prime timeline just suddenly changes with only Guinan aware. Technically, you could argue that what we're seeing is a parallel timeline as soon as the Enterprise C comes out of the rift, and we cut back to the prime timeline after it returns, but that's not how it's presented, as there are different, definite echoes that suggest these are the same characters, but with new histories. Anyway, uh... Uh, any chance to ramble on about one of my favorite subjects is always appreciated, so thanks and keep up the great work. Kurt, welcome to Geek Town on Stad. Well, I always took that as like there's something in the Elorian DNA right. that makes them more sensitive to temporal events. What about the one... What about um, perspective? What is it called? Also, it could be from the fact that she had spent time in the Nexus too. Uh-huh. Is it you a know. matter of perspective? Is that the name of the episode? A uh, matter of perspective, the Rashomon tale, where they're trying to figure out whether or not Riker uh, murdered that guy. Yeah, except aren't they just jumping back in time? And yet, in that one, they also seem aware of the other time. What? Do you, no, there's no time travel in a matter of perspective. Isn't it a time loop? No. You thinking of cause and effect? I'm thinking of cause and effect. Yes. Uh, cause and effect is a time loop. Yeah, but there's a temporal disturbance, right? So they're in a temporal disturbance. So there's no... It's sort of cut off from the outside timeline. Yeah, it sort of exists in a bubble. Gotcha. Um, Then uh, uh, there's a hail from Ken Molay, a supporter of the podcast, uh, that is titled Frank vs. Brent. Hi, Matt and Andy. In a recent episode, Matt was lamenting that Brent Spiner did not cover Frank Sinatra's songs on Old Yellow Eyes is back. So you can do a real comparison of their singing. Actually, six of the songs were ones that Frank also recorded. Here's a quick mashup I made of cuts from all six songs with the two singers back to back. It's two and a half minutes overall, which is an attorney on a podcast. So feel free to stop after any of the snippets. Uh, But if you play it out, you get a nice chance to hear Frank's voice change from his earliest radio days to his mature sound decades later. Uh, naturally, uh, this feels they like it use be in the Frank Sinatra come You're on. You're totally right. Section. So bef- before we jump into that, uh, I just want to say uh, this is um, uh, our good friend, uh, Command Master Sergeant Rob Garrison, uh, alerted me that this is the three year anniversary of our Star Trek TNC Facebook. Hang on, what are you doing? I gotta hit the sound. Photoshop Matt with Data's cat. And who put Andy's face on that? Just take a look. It's on Facebook. It's in our face group. Also, Andy, you didn't let me close the hails. I mean, I, you're just, you're what? out of control here. Well, it's because you, uh, on the fly, decided that one of our hails belonged in the Frank Sinatra section. No, it's I not said my we, fault. Should, we should play it in the Frank Sinatra section. 
Uh, so I'm agreeing, but I had to finish up the hails first. But this isn't part of the hails. Oh, uh, fine. <laughs> You're the stickler. <laughs> oh, boy. Everything's ruined. We're going to quit the podcast now. Sorry, guys. Also, we're only quitting it because I can't. There it is. Hang on. All right. I found the sound. We are not going to quit the podcast. <laughs> All right. So face group. Andy, uh, continue. I was mostly just going to uh, point out that well, I think we were asking recently what the average was of our uh, for our Andes for our seasons. And uh, ship statistician Brad Arrington, Lieutenant Commander Brad Arrington, uh, actually did it. He's only done it up to season four. So he's still working on five. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's lots of beautiful stats in there if you want to search them down. Um, but the... Uh, the main thing, uh, so I'll just give you the overview through season four. Um, let's see. Green is, I'm blue, which is would have been my preferred color. Thank you, Brett. And you're green. Uh, so in season one, my average is a, is four Andes. Your average is three, 3.6. <laughs> our combined is 3.8. Uh-huh. Season two, even lower, mine is 3.8. Yours is 3.5. Average 3.7. Season three... Uh, jumps up. Mine is my average is five point six. Uh, yours is five point five. Pretty much dead even. And then yep. I don't know how this works statistically, but I trust him. The average is five point six. Um, and uh, season four, uh, another jump again. Uh, mine is six point two. Yours is a little higher, six point three. Usually you're a little lower, nice. ironically. And then the average is six point two. So there you go. Look forward to steady- more of those. Steady, uh, steadily increasing in quality. Good old Star Trek, the next generation. It's a beautiful place to hang out in the face group with those lovely people. And uh, we're very grateful for your support and your interest. And uh, everyone go over there and, uh, and join up. Go to Facebook. Uh, search for the Star Trek Next Conversation group and uh, be a part of it. Happy third anniversary, everybody. Happy third anniversary to all of you. It's the third anniversary of the face group. Get in there for the next 500 years. This is the end of the Facebook section For Star Trek, the next conversation I thought I should bring it to your attention Oh, now back to the rest of the programmation If you'd like to send a hail You can send it to sdtncpod at gmail.com You can find Matt at Matt Myra on Instagram and Twitter I'm at Andrew Secunda on Instagram And at Secunda on Twitter Or as I said before, you can send a voice hail to 816-TREK-TNC Or if you want to get into our Priority One messages Join the Patreon all right, let's talk about the episode. We crossed many doors to many places. Your hails made us think of all your faces. Sit comfortably in your humble abode. Let's talk about this week's episode. All right, it's time to talk about Realm of Fear, which aired the week of September 28th, 1992. Andy, what was going on? Matt, the number one song in the U.S. continued to be End of the Road by Boys to Men. Uh, the number one song in the UK was Ebenezer Good by The Shaman. <laughs> Still looking for it? Don't even want to know what that is. <laughs> um, the number one movie, uh, Last of the Mohicans. The number one book was The Pelican Brief by John Grisham. Oh, and yeah. births that week were Actra Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller, the Flash, and the just in the oh. uh, in the DC movie universe. There you go, fascinating. 
Um, Sinead O'Connor stirs up controversy when she ripped a picture of the Pope on SNL. And uh, the events where the Cartoon Network launched. Interesting. That was that was the event. I love it. That was a week, guys. That was September 28, 1992. And uh, while we're uh, in the 90s, let's find out what uh, our good pal Frank Sinatra was up to. It's time for the number one segment in podcasting. Frank Sinatra, cool. come on. Da, 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 da. It's time for that segment everybody hates. <laughs> for Frank Sinatra, come on. I still I have no idea how we arrived at this. Like what the Let what the slip up was that led us into this. Star. It has been explained to us many times. Okay, know. good. Thank you. I'm not gonna. <laughs> um, out of curiosity, I can't hear it. It doesn't matter to me as long as they can hear it. You, they hear it. I'm sad okay. that you can't. Uh, that's fine. Will I hear the cut up? Yeah. Or I won't hear that either. You'll hear it. Okay. Uh, here we go. The previous night, September 28th, 1992, the previous night found Frank finishing up a six-night run at the Desert Inn in Las Vegas. This must have been a welcome week of stability in a year when he performed, Jesus, 84 concerts in 17 different countries. This guy, he did not stop working. That's it. There you go, Andy. You got it, right? You hear it now, don't you? I do, yes. Oh, good. I didn't so want you is... to get away from the sultry tones of Mr. Frank Sinatra. And while we're here, guys, it's time to check in on Brett Spiner and Frank Sinatra and see what their singing was like. Let's head over, guys. Thank you again for sending it in. Here we go. Kiss me once and kiss me twice. Then kiss me once again. Dulcet young tones of Frank Sinatra. It's been a long, it's a fun quiz. long time. <laughs> Ironically, Captain America's uh, Haven't felt like this, my dear Since can't remember when It's pretty it's good long, He's a good singer, Brent long time. He was, was uh, not he what was I expected him to sound like He was in um, He was in 1776 on Broadway Was he really? Yes In the original cast? And uh, certainly in the cast that was like in the in the in the in the nineties, so not oh. the, obviously not the original cast. Fascinating. But there you go. Okay, let's continue. Time. I tell myself that I'm so lucky to be loving you. Very sweet. Embrace me, my sweet embraceable. I'm guessing this is in the fifties. This is fifties, frankly. I have no idea. Embrace me, you irreplaceable you. Interesting. When you smiled at me, I heard a melody. It haunted me from the start. Oh, this feels like a show tune and a half. Yeah, that one that one sounds more like the data singing, I know. And I forget to do. How hilarious that <laughs> he released an album basically of data singing. That everyone 
I mean, look at that. Brent Spiner, great pipes. Thank you, Ken Malay. Really, uh, chairman of the board, great pipes. Really impressive. Uh, on Brent Spiner's part, obviously, Frank Sinatra is impressive, but uh, but uh, really, uh, it's, it's not the quality I would have imagined in his voice. <laughs> I'll tell you who had more range. I, I, ain't, was- I ain't playing a wacky albino android. <laughs> That's the kid with the yellow eyes. What's that about? What you got yellow eyes for, you chicken? What are you, some kind of cat? <laughs> Meow. That's what Frank <laughs> says, and then he gets into his limo and leaves. Uh, okay, this is Realm of Fear, directed by Cliff Bull, written by Brandon Braga. Uh, the ever-nervous engineer Barkley sees his... Vi- this is from Larry Nemechek's uh, Star Trek Next Generation Companion, revised edition, available on Kindle. The ever-nervous engineer Barkley sees his vi- victory of devising a method of boarding the disabled USS Yosemite turns sour when he is confronted with one of his worst fears, transporter beaming. Emboldened by Troy's counseling, he takes it over to the dead ship, but in mid-transport discovers a creature living in the transporter beam that seemingly tries to attack him when he transports back alone. Knowing his own shaky reputation, Barkley keeps the story to himself until the spot on his arm where the creature touched him begins to glow. He finally reports the incident to a skeptical crew, but with O'Brien's help, the determined engineer finds the creatures again during another trip. That Dr. Crusher discovers that his arm is radiating the same energy as a dead Yosemite crew member, and she realizes that the glowing light is a life is a life form trapped in Barkley's body. The only way to separate him from the form is in mid-beaming. While the molecules are disassembled, so he once again must confront his old phobia of molecular limbo. O'Brien doesn't believe Barkley's stories of monsters in the transporter beam. Then during the beaming, he not only doesn't panic, but realizes he can grab the creature, who turns out, upon rematerialization, to be one of the lost Yosemite crewmen. The others are rescued, and Barkley finds himself a hero after all. Andy, what an episode. I can't believe how short this description is. Yeah? Like, he I mean, usually is much more long-winded than that. Um, one thing that was interesting to me is he... Because uh, Nemechek sometimes makes leaps of logic, which are useful, but it it's interesting. And he's he decided that Bark... Which I, I sort of... Ooh, something fell. Uh, I sort of um, um, inferred, but it's not said in the episode, I don't think... That, he, that Barkley doesn't tell them because of, he's like, well, everybody already thinks I'm crazy. Nobody, he doesn't say that in the episode. Nope, Larry's just doing a little uh, Trek math. Yeah. Uh, all right, it's Realm of Fear. Let's uh, let's get into it, guys and gals. Captain's log, stardate four six zero four one point one. We have located the USS Yosemite, a Starfleet science vessel sent to the Igo sector to observe a remote plasma streamer. The ship has not been heard from in several days. Magnify. 
The last report we have says they were observing the streamer at medium range. Maybe they went in for a closer look. Got more than they bargained for. Hail them. No response. Black signs? Our scanners cannot penetrate the plasma streamer's distortion field. Can we track to them out? A weird no, angle. Sir. We're just staring I up at Data's nostrils. Too heavy. I'll take a shuttle in. Too risky. You could be pulled in too. Bridge to engineering. Miss LaForge, can we beam an away team onto the science ship? We can beam them over there, Captain, but with all this interference, we might not get a positive lock to bring them back. I mean, why not just ask O'Brien if he can do it? That's true. Just going over over Chief uh, Chief O'Brien's head there, right to Jordy. I think they should have cut to O'Brien. They should have cut to O'Brien sort of go, uh, start about to answer, and then Jordy answers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess I wish that oh, O'Brien right. was on the bridge at the uh, at one of the engineering <laughs> stations and was turned around and then was like oh and then just went back to his sad station yeah uh, I mean it's so strange to snap my neck back and forth between Discovery and TNG if you're watching them at the same time what's your experience of it I mean, just the, the pacing of, of TNG is just like, ah, let me just breathe. Let me observe and enjoy. I don't need any crazy leaps of uh, plot or logic or whatever. Like, yeah. if, this, if, if this was Discovery, uh, Riker would have taken the shuttle over, and he would have gotten sucked in, and that would have been, become a whole other fucking subplot we would have had to deal with. Let me ask you something, and this may be more for the Disco podcast, but do you think that the modern day audience say even the younger audiences need that pace or do you think like i think maybe maybe next generation is a bit slow yeah but i don't think it would have to be much faster i definitely wouldn't have to be up to discovery pace i think that that's a little bit of like executives and producers and and some writers just underestimating the audience's patience for science fiction yeah also, character, following characters through a story. Well, I mean, look, at least uh, at least on Disco, you get to follow the characters do the same story beats every four episodes. It's really great. Yeah, they like to say goodbye. Saying goodbye, guys. We're going to say goodbye. <laughs> Commander, if we bridged our transporter system with theirs, we might be able to cut through the ionic field. That's a good idea, Barkley. Captain, I think we can do it. We're going to bridge the two transporter systems. Acknowledged. Meet Commander Riker in transporter room three. Aye, sir. Barkley, I'm going to need a systems engineer on this away team. But, but... I'll ask... Barkley gets a lot... Barkley is getting very last named here. I feel like if he's talking to anybody else, he goes first name. Or or rank. Yeah, Yeah. because, like, you know... Other than Captain Picard or Commander Riker... Right. He'd be like... Who would he call? No, I guess he calls Data Data because Data's Data. Data has one name, and Worf has one name, and I feel like he should be called like Reg more more than. He definitely has called him Reg in the past. Yeah, Barkley uh, is kind of. It's almost like a schoolyard kind of insulty kind of way that he's calling him yeah. Barkley. And I do like the idea of like uh, somebody trying to pass off the work. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know what? I I better not. Ensign Dern to join you. I meant you, Barkley. Shouldn't I stay here? It's that guy that's always there. Dern can do that. Come on, let's go. It's that extra whose name I forget. And I probably never knew. 
Maybe that's Ensign Dern. Yeah, it probably is. Good effect. I'll have to send you over one at a time, Commander, because of bandwidth limitations. And the transport cycle will take a bit longer. How much longer? Jordy has been trying to get up in my my uh, for a bumpy area ride. here. What are you? Uh, my grill. Could you possibly move your hand off of my console? <laughs> I know that Picard was asking you the transporter questions, but I am still the transporter chief. Uh, and also, uh, Lieutenant Barkley, could you please stop fucking with my isolinear chips? <laughs> you want to have a transporter accident? That's the way to do it. <laughs> What exactly do you mean by a bumpy ride? Well, there may be a small amount of static charge accumulation. You'll feel a bit of tingling. It's nothing to worry about. Let's do it. Dwarf. There, watch this, by the way, this season as we continue through the middle of the season. Uh, the, the just the, the, the amp up of uh, pushing Deep Space Nine storylines. Like uh, I don't, yeah. the, uh, the Cardassian beat with the uh, Admiral for no reason. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, O'Brien-centric story. <laughs> so they knew they were going to use O'Brien yeah, at yeah, this yeah. point. Yeah, it, was he? In, he's not in from the beginning, is he? He's in. Found, he's in Counter of Farpoint. You mean not in Counter of Farpoint? You mean what, what do you mean? Kind of, he's in. He's in the first episode of TNG. No, no, I, I meant um, uh, DS Nine. He's in the first episode of DS Nine. Gotcha. Uh, was that what you meant by TNG? You said Encounter at Farpoint. Why would we be going? You said from the. Encounter? You asked me about from the beginning. I assumed you. Oh were no no no! I meant I meant the beginning of DS Nine. Yeah yeah. Yes. Um, so here are my uh, here are just some stray thoughts on this. One, um, I like that when we revisit Barkley here, even though he's clearly you know <clears throat> one might argue understandably neurotic about transporting. Um, that he's gained ground in his social interactions. He's not as much, he's like clearly progressed and he's not as much of a, of a wreck as he was just interacting with people. I like that. It's an implied growth. He, I mean, although he's immediately thrown into a tizzy. He is thrown and into a tizzy. you argue that like, yes, it's because of the transporting. It's uh, at least a semi-justified reason, particularly if he's avoided transporting up till now. I just don't know how you got so far along at Starfleet with avoiding transports. I know that he I says that he's taken so many shuttle hours. I mean, it's a it's a reason with everything. Also, it's just like when you see what Wesley goes through in Starfleet Academy. Just the idea that that Barkley could have pulled off anything except the uh, the engineering part of it is crackers. And frankly, and we'll see it later in the episode when even O'Brien clearly has to give him his rank respect and sort of and Barkley can kind of pull rank on him I'm just like how did how did Barkley advance so much further than O'Brien in Starfleet because O'Brien didn't go to the academy oh it's an officer yeah O'Brien's an enlisted enlisted, uh, officer he's not a he's not a officer officer he's a that makes me feel bad for O'Brien he's a a, a class system he's a chief and the last thing, oh, go ahead. Yep. The last thing I'll say is, uh, it's weird to me that it's like, well, it could be dangerous. We're just going to do this one at a time. Okay, Worf, you go first. Why does well, Riker go first? Worf is the Worf is the security officer. He's got to go over to secure the location they're beaming to. Interesting. So it's just protocol. Yeah. 
Oh, interesting. Huh. No problem. Also, like, if something was poisoned okay. and Riker was about to eat Energize. it, Worf would take it and bite the sandwich first. Mm-hmm. Ridge, you're up. Ridge. Aye, sir. Engaging interlock. Buffers in sync. Phase coils are. I'm sorry. I just can't do this. Man, some days that's what I want to do. <laughs> and just leave the room. And when they're about to transport you? <laughs> just you know, any sort of task it is I don't want to be doing that I feel strongly about that I just do anyway. I just want to one day just be like, I, I, I can't do this, and leave, and then go to, go to my shrink's office. <laughs> Deanna Troy. Look at how, look at how wide and, you were faced with and involved that couch is. Anyone would have been apprehensive in so that situation. So many sections to the sectional. You tell that to Commander LaForge and the rest of the away team. I'm sure they understand. As soon as you feel up to it, you can probably still join them. No! Reg, is there something you're not telling me? Actually, it's this is not the this is not the first time I've been apprehensive. Every single time that I tried to do it, I had this certain feeling. I guess you could call it mortal terror. Why have you kept it a secret? Why? Because my career in Starfleet would be over. That's why. I doubt that. I've always managed to avoid it somehow. You wouldn't believe how many hours that I've logged in shuttlecraft. I mean, the idea of being deconstructed molecule by molecule. It's more than I can stand. Even when I was a child, I always had a dreadful fear that if ever I was dematerialized, that I would... Never come back again? Whole. I know. Sounds crazy. It's not crazy at all. You are being taken apart molecule by molecule. Not not very helpful, Troy. (laughs) (laughs) I have a cousin that was killed in a transporter accident. Oh, no. Wrong thing to say. (laughs) I'm not feeling any better. (laughs) I mean, it's not fair to say that he didn't make it back because half of him did. Red, you're not the first person. Which half? The top or the bottom? (laughs) Half of his head. Oh, the left. (laughs) Transporting. We can desensitize you to this type of fear. It's a slow and gradual process, but it works. It does. Well, you might first try a relaxation technique like plexing. Oh, yeah. I'm going to flex right now, actually. Yes, it's a betazoid method. The next time you feel nervous about transporting, you stimulate a neural pressure point like this. There's a nerve cluster just behind the carotid artery. It stimulates the part of the brain that releases natural endorphins. 
perplexing. Sounds easy enough. Here. There. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how fast he's... But you know, I... Is that I, a real thing? I feel better already. Uh, I mean, I can do this. <laughs> a betazoid technique called plexing? I don't think so. That's a shame. There's no need to rush. No, no, yeah. no. We talked about <laughs> I confronting looked it up my fears. And guess where it led me. <laughs> uh, to the memory alpha page that only references this episode. <laughs> I think it might rep- reference one other episode because it has her in a future uniform. Oh, in, doing in, it. Uh, in Voyager? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Best way out is through. You said that once, remember? Uh, no, in time. I speed. suppose I did. I'm going to beam over there. I can do it. <laughs> mm. Yep. What do you think of the ship, Matt? The other it's ship. An o- it's an O-Birth class, a science vessel. Uh, oh, I see. So we've seen that before. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, you remember it from uh, Star Trek Four. It's one of the first ships that the powered gets disabled on when the whale probe is going by. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, yeah, we've seen it before, Andy. But boy, oh boy, do I love some starship talk. <laughs> How is that possible? Transporter is still functional. Could they have beamed aboard an explosive device? Commander Riker, could you come here, please? Excuse me. Can't you just come over here? See, I would Why do you have to walk is, all the way over here? But I would say this is another situation where it's a weird name thing. That she's Does she call him Commander Riker only on away missions and not Will? Lieutenant Joshua Kelly. I guess it depends when, on if they're on duty or not. Or when Maybe. someone dies. Yes, when someone dies, the uh, Starfleet medical code is address your superior officer as their rank. He was the ship's engineer. How did he die? He has second and third degree burns over most of his body, but I don't think they were the cause of his death. I'd like to take him back to do an autopsy. This is just a theory, but I think it was a ghost. <laughs> Wait, what? Beverly? <laughs> I don't know. It's just a theory. What? I don't understand. Why do you, why, what, what makes you think ghost? I don't know. It just My instinct is ghost. What, are you going to shut down my doctor instincts? I'm not going to shut down your doctor instincts. I'd just like to know more Look, about your ghost it's spooky over here. There's uh-huh, weird, uh-huh. you know, there's weird, right. we're in a weird nebula. It's still a lot I of stuff going argue. on. Yeah, it is Could spooky over here. Uh, fair enough. Uh, beat him to sick bay then. <laughs> You're sure about this, sir? Sure. Please proceed. It'll only take a minute. Well, it should be a smooth ride over. Good. Good. <laughs> I like that. He picks his language carefully. <laughs> still got zippers on those uniforms. What about them? They still I got know them. how you feel about yeah. this. Yeah, they're supposed to be hidden, but yeah. You're, you're afraid of transporting too? No. Arachnids. Sickening, crawly little things, don't you think? All those legs. Spiders. I, I, they're... Never bothered me. See, he's not afraid of everything. A few years back, I was called in to reroute an emitter array at a starbase at Zera 4. Turns out the entire system was infested with Tellarian hook spiders. You ever seen a Tellarian hook spider? I gotta look up Tellarian hook spiders on Memory Alpha and see what it says. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> and then look up the Memory Beta section where they have their own book series. <laughs> well... I had a choice. That's, you can call me Captain Tellarian Hook Spider, <laughs> sir. Uh, walk away and let the emitter blow itself to hell. Order. I was the first Tellarian Hook Spider to graduate at the top of his class in Starfleet. <laughs> Do I crawl in the Jeffries tube? I had a brief interaction with Wesley at some point. 
Let me tell you, that Red Squadron, they were no good. <laughs> Did you flip over to Star Wars? Uh, oh, Red they, Squadron is what they were. Is that what they called them? Uh, uh, the Latorno group? I might be Nova Squadron. You're correct, Nova Andy. Squadron. Yes, I did. Ha ha! What happened? <laughs> it's the hardest thing I ever did, but I got through it. After that, I was never quite so afraid of spiders. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good performance. It's good face acting all around. It's also subtle. It's like he's playing a ridiculous character, and he plays it really nicely. Yes. <laughs> Reg. We call Welcome him Reg again. Aboard. You ready to work? Yes, sir. Go. Well, it's because he wasn't working yet. Now he uh-huh. asks if he's ready to work, and now he calls <laughs> <See>? Barkley. <laughs> All right, then, <laughs> All right, then Barkley, this way. <laughs> I was thinking when uh, when he says, I can't do so this, and he walked out, it felt almost like a sitcom cold open. <laughs> Which is oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I can't do this today. <laughs> Reg can't transport. No, Coming this a, fall. In a sitcom, <laughs> it would be, I can't do this. He'd walk out, cut to him beaming somewhere. <laughs> It'd just be a fucking dumb flip joke. <laughs> Did you come up with anything? Well, I don't know how these fit in, but I found them all around the transporter platform. What are they? They look like pieces of a standard sample container. We'll let's, take these back. let's touch this potentially toxic sample container. <laughs> Quickly, uh, hold it up to your eye there, uh, Commander. <laughs> I don't know what exploded here, but let's touch these things. Back to the ship and analyze them there. Mr. Barkley? Glad you could join us. Me too, sir. He's a little bit less of a dar- dick to Barkley. He's more tolerant. Oh, comfort, comforting, uh, comforting shoulder patch. And then we have this scene, which is here just to really lay in the Cardassian subplot of Deep Space Nine. Two of their freighters were destroyed by a Cardassian warship in your sector. Is there any evidence to support this? Although I'm loath to believe the Ferengi about anything. That's mean. There was evidence of Cardassian <laughs> weapons. If the Cardassians also attacked the Yosemite... It could indicate a large-scale movement in this sector. I have an away team on board the ship. The initial report indicates there was an explosion on board, but we're not sure if it was from an attack. How soon until you know? A few hours. If it looks like Cardassians, I'll contact you immediately. This is a red herring, right? This never pays off. Correct. I mean, it pays off in DS9. It's just laying in DS9 stuff. Bridge to Captain Picard. Go ahead, Mr. Data. The away team is returning to the Enterprise, sir. Acknowledged. Have Commander Riker come to my ready room as soon as he's on board. I don't really feel like walking today. (laughs) Boards to transport to room three. I'm ready to go. Stand by, Commander. You think there was any more to that scene, or do you think it was literally just have Frakes walk out to start the scene? I can look it up if you like. (laughs) I mean, you might as well. Sir. Disengage. <laughs> See, sir. I thought this that was effectively so bad, was spooky. 
what'd you say? I thought the creatures were effectively spooky. Yeah, I mean, the idea of, like, seeing something in the beam. Yeah, it'd be terrible. With your atoms all scattered everywhere, it's just like, ooh. That is a weird thing. Is like they sort of say it's. I guess it's kind of perfect because they set him up. He's already the neurotic. Everyone thinks he's neurotic. Yeah, but I, I, mean, but I feel like even independent of the other thing, like the Barclays being all weird about being destroyed and recreated in an unstable situation. <laughs> Look, there's four redundant uh, whatever the fucks on there. He's fine. I'm with Thing McCoy. Out of the ordinary? No, not really. Uh, this looks hopeless. We're not going to get anything out of these logs. You know, maybe. This broken sample container I found can tell us something. Let's try to get this thing That's back into one piece. kind of why you brought it on board, <laughs> sir. <laughs> how, how, how do you, you really want to be bragging about this piece you brought on board? Where? In the... During transport. Sometimes my visor picks up resonance patterns from matter-energy conversion. It's actually kind of pretty. Why? I'm just wondering. Ridge, what are you getting at? Did you see something during transport? Now back to Reg, huh? <laughs> when I was returning to the Enterprise, I could have sworn I saw something in the matter stream. Something? There was phased matter all around, and at first I thought it, it, it was some kind of uh, energy discharge. But then it flew toward me, and it touched my arm. How could something be in there? Molecules flying apart, half-phased? I mean, it's impossible, isn't it? Well, we'd better check it out. When we're done here, we'll run a full diagnostic on the transporter, all right? All right. I also like that Reg is... Uh, he's comfortable enough with the crew and with Jordy to even confess it. He's acting like a sane person. Well, I mean, that's just that's exactly in 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 opposing view of what Doctor Trek said. That's right. Yeah, that's true. That you're whole hundred percent right. <laughs> Doesn't keep it to himself at all. Doctor Trek, come on. Emitter pads. Um, targeting scanners. Yeah, I've got the script open. I don't know. So, what were you? You just wanted to find out after he says Riker joined me in my ready room. Yeah. You want to know if there was the, if it that starts, scene? If it starts with Riker beaming in and saying something to O'Brien. Nope. It's, uh, it has Geordi and Barclay's science ship ops. Geordi and Barclay set the metal fragments onto the transporter stage. Riker, Worf, and Beverly are not present, having already beamed back to the ship. So I think the, uh, the dialogue is just to avoid exactly what you're saying. But it's oh, interesting wait. that they put... Transporter room. Here we go. O'Brien at the controls. Riker stands nearby, having just returned. Oh, so he is scripted as being in there having just returned. Yeah. That was my question. Right. Yes. Thank you. Then Riker exits while O'Brien works the controls. This system's clean. So is the science vessels. Reg, there's a lot of energy floating around in the beam. Maybe you saw a surge in the matter stream. Yeah. I'll run a scan on the Heisenberg compensators. Oh, no, Chief. You, you've done enough already. That's no problem. Why don't you give me a hand? I love seeing the pad up. <laughs> it is really beautiful. You know, Be- beautiful. maybe ignorance really Art is design. bliss. Sir? Well, if I didn't know so much about these things, maybe they wouldn't scare me so much. I 
can still remember the day in Dr. Olufsen's transporter theory class when he was talking about the body being converted into billions of kiloquads of data zipping through subspace. And I realized there's no margin for error. One atom out of place and poof, you never come back. It's amazing people aren't lost all the time. With all due respect, sir, I've been doing this for 22 years and I haven't lost anybody yet. Yes, but you, you realize if the imaging scanners are off even one thousandth of a percent. That's why each pad has four redundant scanners. If any one scanner fails, the other three take over. Reg, how many transporter accidents have there been in the last ten years? Two? Three? There are millions of people who transport safely every day without a problem. I've heard of problems. What about transporter psychosis? <laughs> transporter psychosis? But there hasn't been a case of that in over 50 years. Not since they perfected the multiplex pattern buffers. Rich, transporting really is the safest way to travel. <sighs> you know, I, I do, I... It's funny, it's very much like Twilight Zone... Uh, like the William Shatner Twilight Zone episode, right? Where he sees something on the wing. Sure. Nightmare at 20,000 feet. There you go. Uh, which, yeah, if it was made today, it would be Nightmare at 33,000 feet, because jets fly higher now. Uh, but it's interesting. It's a, it, I, I, Conceptually, I really like the idea of the episode. Yeah. Of like, okay, what if someone had a fear of transporting, and we sort of explored it like a fear of flying? Right. Uh, and ultimately, he wasn't crazy. It's cool. I mean, it's a nice idea and a nice sort of. It feels almost like it's. I get. You know what? It's a perfect. It's a perfect second series of Star Trek thing to explore because it's such a basic thing. That's in every episode. Yeah, it's, a, nice it's a logical ex- exploration of the world, and it's and, deep, uh, in, deep and, in the show's run too. It's nice, and it also is a perfect use of the Barclay character. All right, let's. Uh, Let's count Nurse Ogawa's lines, shall we? <laughs> I'd like to we need this. One, we need a. We need a. We need a song for this. Yes, one, one. <laughs> so far, one. <laughs> Come on, Nurse Ogawa. What dead time here? Damage to the epidermis only. Initiate a circulatory probe. No, she didn't say yes, sir. Oh, she just looked. She didn't say yes, doctor. She probably, she probably, there were takes where she did. <laughs> I'll inject him now. Cut. What are you doing? <laughs> There's, There's two. Doctor, because two, two, two for Cardio Ogawa. Now. It's gone. Three. Three. Neuroelectrical activity in the cerebral cortex. Same or line. Nothing. Same oh, line. you're right. That's right. Same line. Now his respiratory system's active. What the hell is going on? I have a theory. No, they cut out. Just three. Three. So far. I don't, I don't remember yeah. if she pops back up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love this whole like thing of like what 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 uh, WebMD is like on Order. a starship. Transporter psychosis. This is amazing. Transporter.
Porter psychosis was diagnosed in the year 2209 by researchers on Delinea 2. No, no, stop. All I need is... What, what causes it? It is caused by a breakdown of neurochemical molecules during transport, affecting the body's motor functions, autonomic systems, and the brain's higher reasoning centers. What are the symptoms? Victims suffer from paranoid delusions, multi-infarct dementia, hallucinations... Hall hallucinations? What, what kind of hallucinations? Victims experience somatic, tactile, and visual hallucinations, accompanied by psychogenic hysteria. Peripheral symptoms include sleeplessness, accelerated heart Not rate, diminished eyesight leading to acute Squinting. myopia, painful spasms in the extremities, and in most cases, dehydration. Oh no, I needed water when Computer. I walked in here. <laughs> what is the treatment for transporter psychosis? There is no known treatment. Oh, he definitely. I love the hand on the face shake that. Ionized gas or high energy plasma. Plasma? There's no way they could have been exposed. Unless it was matter from the streamer. Is there evidence of a hull breach? Could the plasma from the streamers have found its way onto the ship? No. Data, what's the report on that broken sample container? The analysis fragments Still harping on that broken sample container. Captain, if there's evidence of similar ionization in those fragments, it could mean that they tried to beam aboard material from the streamer. If the plasma had exploded, that would explain a few things. Let me know when the analysis is complete. Aye, sir. To see what happens to matter when it is beamed aboard under similar conditions. It's a good idea. <laughs> I love data. Container. Staring Bridge. at Barclay. I don't want to take any chances here. Start setting up a level 5 containment field here in engineering, okay? Aye, sir. Are you all right, Lieutenant? I'm, I'm fine. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Data looking at him. See, Data's good at reading people. Well, it's his, he studies human behavior constantly. Jordy. Mm. Lieutenant Barkley What's appears up with that guy? preoccupied with his physiological condition. I have seen him check his pulse rate as well as his visual acuity several times over the last 20 minutes. Thanks, Dave. You okay? Whoop. You okay? I'm just fine, sir. I was certain he was going to drop something on George. I do. <laughs> Look, Reg, all the water stuff. it's been a long couple of days. Why don't you get some rest? We got everything under control here. I think I'll do that, sir. Thank you. <laughs> I wish he... I, I'd like to imagine that he then takes the Jeffrey's tube up to his quarters. <laughs> <laughs> I found a back way into my room so I don't have to talk to anyone. The force of Counselor Troy. Go ahead, Commander. Counselor, do you have a minute? She seems annoyed to be doing her job. <laughs> you seemed a little nervous this morning. I'm always nervous. Everybody knows that. 
He also mentioned that you said you saw something in the transporter beam. Well, I was wrong. They checked the transporter and there wasn't. I mean, there was nothing there. I imagined the whole thing. You don't sound very convinced of that. Listen, Counselor, I really appreciate your concern in this matter, but I wish you wouldn't continue with this conversation. I'm really perfectly fine. Mr. Barclay, you're exhausted and highly agitated. And I cannot allow a member of this crew to endanger himself or others. I'm not endangering anyone else, and I really wish you wouldn't... ...think it would be in your best interest to take a leave of absence. Reg, I'm temporarily relieving you of duty. Fine. The sound decision she makes. Fine. Do what you have to do, Counselor. He then just walks in that circle for the next 22 hours. (laughs) (laughs) Then he tries (laughs) meditating so he can sleep. And then his arm starts glowing. After he tries plexing. He's got those plates, those calming plates above his bed. Because you know what you want when you're a jittery person is to have two breakable objects hanging above your head. <laughs> on, a, on a ship that's constantly under attack. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, begging your pardon, but couldn't this wait till the morning? No. Chief, I've just... I've been reviewing the transport logs. What are these these energy variations that keep appearing? There was one when I was transported to the science ship, do you see? Yeah, they're just uh, sorry, they're just ionic fluctuations, the result of our interlock with the Yosemite's transporter system. So a fluctuation occurred. What time in the morning? what time do you think this is? Three o'clock in the morning? Yeah, I would say for them. While I was inside the magazine. of time, obviously. It's nothing to worry about, sir. I need you to transport me to the science ship and then directly back again. And while I'm in the beam, can you recreate one of those ionic fluctuations? Well, I guess so. But if you don't mind my asking, sir, what for? Well, I mean, Commander LaForge wants some tricorder readings on those fluctuations. You never, can do that from right here. No, he, I... The, he never the pays the price for flat-out no, no, lying I mean, to make O'Brien do something. <laughs> Seems like that is a huge breach of protocol right well, there. Also, like, I think Chief O'Brien knows what's up, which is why he subtly points it out to him. I'm giving gotcha. you an order, Mr. O'Brien. It's so weird. Hi, sir. If you don't mind my making an observation, sir, you forgot to bring a tricorder. Either there's something in there or I'm going crazy, and I've just got to know. You can understand that, can't you? Yes, sir, I can. Stand by, sir. That's nice of O'Brien. I mean, O'Brien's got that down-home, uh... meat-and-potatoes kind of attitude. So he sees more worm creatures, and then he wakes, makes Chief O'Brien wake everybody up. I want you to wake the senior staff. <laughs> I don't know why he's so much more certain now. Because he's seen it again, and his, yeah, arm, but, was, and his arm was glowing. But he saw it the first time. Yeah, but his arm wasn't glowing. He thought he imagined it. Everyone was telling him he imagined it. He believed he was imagining it. Then when he had the actual arm glow, that's when he... Did this, saw it again, and then was like, okay, I'm not crazy. 
this thing was alive? I feel like it's not it, it's not illustrative proof. If he thinks it was a hallucination, then he would have thought that the arm thing was a hallucination. So going in again and seeing it again would have just been another hallucination. Well, that's if his cognitive reasoning uh, center is fucked up, which, you know, maybe he or, doesn't or, think it is. Or some visual thing. Um, whatever the case. I'm glad that he did. You know, I'm glad sentence. that he did. I'm <laughs> glad that he found it. <laughs> Whatever the he case. found what was wrong. I'm glad he Seems found like the worms. Seems like it would have been very upsetting for him to never find it. I'm so <laughs> glad he found the space worms. <laughs> it was dark and distorted. And He's just so sure. Now, and I don't know like why a... he would be so sure. Because he's looked for all kinds of other reasons and couldn't find them. Uh, yeah, I guess. He, tied it, he ties it to the anomaly that, that's in there. So I guess it's the idea is that because O'Brien recreated the anomaly, because that the that anomaly the was only present during Obri- uh, during Barclay's transport. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like good proof because it's like, well, he asked. Well, him to Barclay recreate. saw it the first time, so if he recreates the anomaly, Barclay, if he was insane, would have seen it the second time, whether the anomaly was recreated or not. What he should have done was go through and see if it didn't work and then recreate the anomaly that's science well i mean he had everybody else who had gone through without the anomaly as his yeah except it's not a it's not a good control group because he thinks he's insane yeah but if he thinks he's insane i mean what's the worst that could happen he's already lying to another officer to try to get it to happen he might as well wake the senior staff who cares (laughs) well that's true (laughs) it's just he seems so sure I don't see anything wrong with his arm. Reg, why did you wait so long to tell anybody about your arm? Well, I... Uh, I, I told I LaForge I was a couple hallucinating that minutes I after. Had, um, <laughs> that it was transporter psychosis. But now I know what I saw in there was real. I was the only one Based on who what? experienced ionic fluctuations in the transport. Maybe that's why no one else saw it. Mr. Barclay, I've been told that you've been under considerable strain during the past few days. You also have a history of being very odd. You simply imagine. I, I know what you're going to say, Captain. I, I know I've been acting strange lately, but you've got to believe me that I would never have called you in here unless I was absolutely certain. I don't know why he is. Mr. Forge, get Mr. O'Brien. Take that transporter system apart, piece by piece, if you have to. Mr. Wolf. I want a level three security alert until further notice. Aye, sir. I'll run a microcellular scan of Mr. Barclay's arm. It might take some time, but if there's a problem, I'll find it. Sometimes I can do it with Keep the tricorder. It just depends Dismissed. on the script. The patterns correspond exactly to those we measured in Lieutenant Kelly's body and in the sample container from the science ship. There's no question you have been exposed to the same high-energy plasma they were. So, something did happen to me in the transporter beam. You might have been exposed to something from the science ship. You did say something touched your left arm during transport, and that's exactly where the ionization is focused. Does this ionization pose a threat to Mr. Barclay? It might. I'll have to run a base pair correlation to see if there's any sign of DNA breakdown. Sir, DNA breakdown. 
Kimena Beforge and I were planning to recreate the circumstances of the explosion on the Yosemite, and that might give us some answers. Permission to continue with the experiment? Granted. Tell Mr. O'Brien to take all the primary transporters offline. I don't want to risk any further contaminations. Make sure you take all the necessary safety precautions. Aye, sir. Contaminations. Like <laughs> Riker's still not buying it. <laughs> Go ahead and beam aboard a sample, will you? Aye, sir. I mean, do you really want to do that? You, you saw what happened to the other ship. And should we do it next to the warp core? <laughs> just a just a thought. Maybe go to a cargo bay? <laughs> uh, this is crazy to me. That they beam it over and that they do the experiment okay. here. I just don't get That's crazy. In, in the fucking main engineering next to the warp core. And they don't even really know what made the explosion before. And also, no, they have a theory, and they're just doing exactly what they think the theory was. And also, like, Riker literally just said, make sure you're taking all the safety precautions. And this, by the way, to me, is not, it'd be safer to do in, like, your quarters. <laughs> or space. What would they have done first? Standard analysis begins with a... Andy, space is correct. They should have just done it in space. Yeah. Resonance frequency scan. That sounds like a good place to start. Let's do that. Initiating resonance sweep. Frequency range at three. Berkeley, check the containment field. If I, you know, I rarely criticize Brent Spiner's performance as data. Uh huh. But I wouldn't have had him squint so hard at that explosion. <laughs> Honestly, I would have had him just look at it and take it yeah. all in. Right. Let's write him a note. Dear Brett, the field is at its maximum limit, but your singing is delightful. (laughs) However, (laughs) I noticed that in season six, episode two, Realm of Fear, there was an explosion nearby, creating a flash of light. You squinted like a human instead of observing it like an android. Please change your performance. Beautiful. I see my family in there. <laughs> Look, there's my dad, there's my mom, my sister, energy, and that's me. <laughs> and there's my dog. Highly complex patterns. You know, I think these things are alive. Reg? A little, I just heard the little thud in my right earphone from him falling, from him passing out didn't detect them until we tried to run the resonance frequency scan. Apparently they didn't like it very much. They shattered the sample container. Which caused a plasma precious explosion sample similar container. to the one on the science ship. Exactly. When we linked up with their transporter system, one or more of the microbes must have gotten into our system. We think they're still caught in the buffer. It might explain what you saw. But what I saw was much bigger than a microbe. Normal spatial relationships are often distorted within the matter stream. Your perceptions may have been exaggerated. Some of these microbes are also in your body, Rich. In... inside me? They were in Lieutenant Kelly's body as well. That's what caused the contractions during the autopsy. The biofilter should have screened them out, but it didn't. So I'll still breathe after I die? Simultaneously (laughs) as both matter and energy. That's nice. The biofilter cannot distinguish them from the matter stream. Right, but... Seems like that's a huge flaw in the transporter that everybody's so high on. At the point where matter starts to lose molecular cohesion, the molecules would begin to emit nucleonic particles. 
we may be able to derive a pattern the computer would recognize and then reprogram the biofilters and screen the microbes out. I think this will work, Reg. <laughs> Love Reg trying Suspend to me? stop him from... I don't like the sound of this. Well, we would have to keep you in there for a while. How long? 30, 40 seconds. It's tough to tell. But I think it'd be safe. But if, if, if I'm in the matter stream too long... Your pattern would degrade to the point where your signal would be permanently lost. Okay, so we'll do it. This is the weirdest. This I love. I, you know, I've, I've rewatched this episode many, many times over my uh, over my years as a Star Trek fan, and this ending—it's so funny to me how quickly the security team is like, "Okay, there are worm creatures I have to grab that will turn into people." Omar's up to something. I just got to check on it. Uh, Go ahead. I'll be back in a second. All right. Omar is up to something, guys. What could it be? He's a mischievous cat. He likes to pat at the window, you know? He likes to sometimes uh, attempt to get outside. So Andy has left his office, has headed down to Omar Central, which I will call the rest of his home. Uh, My guess is, well, if he's hearing it, it's got to be up nearby, in a room nearby. I I can't wait to figure out what it was. Andy, what what was Omar up to? He was just running around. I think it might have been coming from outside. Oh, do you think he was maybe like chasing some sort of laser beam? <laughs> if, if he was, then that's a larger issue because that means somebody else besides me was pointing a laser beam. Do you think that someone is out there trying to snipe you? <laughs> <laughs> Please put me out of my misery. It's the only way. You know, has that ever happened in uh, any sort of sniper movie you've ever watched where like a cat saw the red dot <laughs> and that idea. tipped off the victim? <laughs> I was also thinking it'd be funny as a prank to kind of go outside somebody's house and then, like, flick the uh, the thing and have the, the cat oh, going crazy. Cat. Oh, just for the cat. Not to make them think you were going to kill them. Yeah. Okay. I guess either. <laughs> either one. One's a hoot and one's either a real hilarious hoot. bit. <laughs> Still haven't isolated the microbes. I'll try increasing molecular dispersion. His signal resolution's down to 55%. Don't worry. I can hold them together. I'm Chief O'Brien. 22 years, no accidents. I do the transporter stuff, not Jordy. Commander, the signal resolution's down to 50%. We need to bring him back. I know, I know. Just give me one more second. We need more dispersion. Increase phase transition frequency. But can't we just bring him back and he'll be fine and then we can figure this out later? (laughs) The imaging scanners are actuating. Got it. Pattern acquisition positive. Programming biofilter. Don't worry, Raj, this won't hurt a bit. But they assume. This is so insane to me. Grabs the worm creature. I'm reading a 92% increase in mass. Besides that, there's the something answer. in the beam with him. Security to transport. Like a lot of. Or he's gotten really fat. I don't know. We'll find out. 92% mass increase. How much ice cream did you put in there with him? <laughs> Room three. Right away. I'm setting up a force field around. <laughs> Do you think Worf gets super excited when security is sent somewhere? Do you think he just goes, yes! Shoot. 
It taps his console and heads out. I think he just fires his phaser. I think he just opens <laughs> he that. He fires yeah. it in the air like a cowboy. <laughs> he, he opens a hatch underneath uh, his console, like at the horseshoe, and just jumps down <laughs> through through uh, through the deck into the next deck. Where security, maybe he's, maybe he keeps security in de- on deck two, right underneath the bridge, so that when he opens up the thing, he can just jump down into the security room and goes, sure. "Let's go." He's got like a pole, <laughs> <laughs> and he's it's the same outfit except he's got a, a a phaser in his hands when he goes down. So this and it's wild. This is wild to me. The security team just listening to this and going, "Okay." There are more crew members in the beam. You have to grab them and hold on. Understood. Follow me. <laughs> That's very quick understanding, Warp. <laughs> Follow me. Let's do it, guys. All right, everyone. Grab an extra. Reg, we're infected with something. Lieutenant Kelly tried to reprogram the biofilter. It looks like he pushed molecular dispersion past the integrity point. Your patterns got caught in the beam. I don't the know, residual like, energy. He didn't tell Warp that they look like giant worms. Yeah. It seems it like that's a very it. important detail. Uh, maybe we're letting worms in Starfleet now. Okay. <laughs> the charge in the buffer, enough to keep your patterns from degrading. I mean, Talarian hook spiders, sure, but worms? This is crazy. <laughs> I got one. I'm Captain Worm. I'm in the memory beta <laughs> novel. <laughs> I wasn't crazy, and I saved the crews. Captain's log, stardate 46043.6. The reprogrammed biofilter was effective in removing the alien microbes from Mr. Barkley and the four crew members. The microbes have been returned to the plasma streamer. So the microbes were totally different... From the worms. Yes, correct. Yeah, the microbes were different. Seems a little bit of a worm on a worm. The microbes were in the matter stream, and the worms were in the transporter beam. This is the first time There's we've one ever other thing. There's a couple of other things. Uh, they said that, like, Barkley's so vague about the description of the creatures, the worms. Yeah. And I wondered if that was because they didn't know what they would look like in, in, F, in, the, in special effects yet. And so it was just like, oh, just describe sort of vaguely. Yeah. And it was sort of odd. It also does look like a weird mass. Yeah. It looks yes. like a, it looks like a, it looks like a, the, uh, I wouldn't have described that a, if I was asteroid. saying, hey, find it. It looks like the, if it had teeth, it would look like the creature that, um, the, uh, Millennium Falcon flies out of. Yes. It looks like that. Correct. Maybe it is. <laughs> It'd be so funny if that's how Reg described it. Everyone loves Star Wars and Star Trek land. Like it's. And then before we we uh, before we close it out, uh, I don't know what you're going to play next. Uh, Barkley has a 20th century thermos. It's sort of interesting. That There's that's... plenty of 20th 20th century cupware rolling rolling around the. Uh, I guess that's rolling around true. The Enterprise. I guess that's true. It just seems like they would have come up with something more effective at that point. I got I got uh, Picard's teacup here. I've got Picard's I've got my own cup. I've got my own uh, thermos. I'll you tell you what I've always a- I'll tell you what I've always wanted, everyone. If anyone can find one for me, uh, they had metal thermos uh, with black handle uh, coffee cups on the Defiant with the Starfleet emblem on it. Uh-huh. And uh, I've been looking, and I want one really bad, and I can't find anything that is exactly what I want. It's got to be available somewhere. I've looked. That's all I'm saying. 
thank you for joining me on uh, Star Trek Cup discussions. Transporter room. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the amount of, like, we went through so much shit trying to recreate the coffee cup that uh, Kirk's, Kirk pulls the Tribble out of for After oh, yeah. Trek. Like, the season... The season one episode we had, uh, maybe it was the end of maybe it was the end of season one. So I guess it was the series finale of After Trek. We had um, Sinequa and um, and uh, which character? Tilly. Um, Mary Wiseman. May, yeah, Mary Wiseman. She's my brain is a colander no yet again. So Mary Wiseman and Sinequa, and we dropped a bunch of tribbles on the set and i like pulled one out of my coffee cup but like it nice. took us it took us so long to find that coffee cup yeah and like make it we had to make it the uh, prop art department had to make it for us but it was good anyway that's that's more <laughs> more in the more in the did realm they make of, it with like a 3d printer how did they end up making it we made it out of an, an existing solo cup ah old school love it like we tracked down like what model of solo cup it originally was yeah it was it was wild. Uh, had a good time. Anyway, here we meet. Uh, I don't know any reasons that if he grabs the the guy out of the beam that that's gonna the the worm out of the beam it's gonna turn back into the person. I don't think he reasons that. I think he reasons that I'm gonna show the people what I'm crazy about. <laughs> so he wasn't even trying to. I feel like it's implied that he sort of deduced what happened. Put it all together. Yeah. I don't think so. I think it's implied that he accidentally saved the day because he's Barkley. He can't do it on purpose. I don't believe well, so. Well, to be honest, I've always good. avoided you. Why? Because you run the transporters, and I hate the transporters. <laughs> At least I used to. Now they're great. So what's in the box? Can you beam me to my quarters? <laughs> I thought you might like to meet Christina. <laughs> Very fancy Christina? spider, spider holder. Oh, it's the future. That's what a spider holder would look like. It's your pet spider. Lycosa tarantula. Oh, don't worry, she won't bite. She's you know she won't bite. Very large. I found her on Titus IV. Almost stepped on her by accident. Oh, I'll get us a couple of drinks. I removed her from her environment. <laughs> Keep an eye on her, will you? Sure. Ah, uh, Chief. Good for the actor. He did it. Weird way to end the episode, but there you have it. it. That is Realm of Fear. Realm of Fear. Uh, it's time to award the very special, most valuable crew member. I don't know why it's special. Maybe because Barkley's in it. Whatever. <laughs> well, it's the MVC, yeah, the MVC. Only Matt and Andy know who it's gonna be. Will it be Data, Riker, Troy, or Dr. Crusher? If you don't like who they pick, just remember that this podcast is free. Bomb. All right, Andy. This oh, seems I mean, I... very much. Like it is definitely Deanna Troy. I mean, Deanna Troy is the um, one that keeps him together. She uh, she points him in the direction of being healthy. She teaches um, him how to she teaches him uh, plexing. 
I mean, it's definitely not uh, Jordy and Data fucking recreating a dangerous experiment. On the- Jordy and Data are are banned from the MVC award for for the next two episodes. I decided <laughs> after the after the carelessness that which they endangered the flagship of the Federation, recreating and, explosion eight feet from the warp core. And frankly, every person on the crew, like Beverly. O'Brien, everybody like checks out that they check out the transporters, they do everything they can, and nobody spots the thing that is the problem. So it clearly has to be Barkley. I have to agree with you, Andy. Reg Barkley, you did it again. How many Andy's does this episode get? I really do enjoy this episode. It's very well done. It's very subtle. It's uh it's a perfect non- showpiece episode you know it's like small story it's it's organic to the world of star trek um i don't know if the care all the all the the usual characters are used as well as they could because it's so centered on barky barkley barky barky good old barky (laughs) (laughs) but barky's used well um i think i give it hmm between a six point five and a seven. I thought you said twenty six point five. I was like, whoa! I go to twenty six point five. Unbelievable! Brad <laughs> Erickson, suck on that. It's gonna really throw the ratings. Um, I give it a six point five. Six point five. I really enjoy rewatching this episode endlessly. And other than the weird ending, I really like it. Uh, and the weird ending, I mean. Uh, there are creatures in the beam. Grab them. They're crew members. Right. <laughs> uh, I I'm going to change it. mine to a seven. Sorry. Wow. You just stepped over my review. I really did. Just I apologize. Your that was really rude. Review. You I just apologize. changed your own review in the middle of my review. Well, you then I'm going to give it. I was going to give it a seven. I'm going to give it a 7.5. There. Uh-huh. That's, 7.5 that's classic for me. Matt. He doesn't want to be in the same, uh, same One zone as better. me. One better. You I, hate I, it. I like it more than you, I think, because I really do watch it a lot. Yeah, like, I really did like, enjoy it. It's a pretty typical Matt puts on, like, a, after all other things have not worked, I will put on an episode of Star Trek and listen to it to fall asleep. And that's uh-huh. one of the ones I put on. Uh, it's a good one to fall asleep to. It's very calming. Yeah. I mean, uh, except for Barkley freaking out. So it's time to watch the trailer for Man of the People. Okay. Uh, pull, let's pull that up, Andy. Andy's typing like a fucking machine. He's so fast. Got it. All right. Man of the People trailer 603. Uh, Andy, let's uh, hit play. I'll count us in. Okay. Uh, Three, two, one, play. If you want to watch along at home. Counselor Troy falls prey to an alien's seductive powers. Strength comes from love. I have no intention of releasing her now or ever. And a startling metamorphosis releases jealous rage. I need you. Deanna's condition is deteriorating rapidly. Will is that Troy like a pay the ultimate or price for unbridled passion? Aging, Counselor Troy is dying. Next time on Star Trek, hey, the next generation. There. What happened to Ogawa? That's the uh, real cliffhanger. <laughs> that, tune in next week, everyone, to find out what we think might have happened to Nurse Ogawa that week. Also, Ogawa, did she not come back? She I did thought not that she... get there. She did not get the Whoa, five. they cheated her out of her under five. Unbelievable. Uh, Are we sure it wasn't five, huh? Well, I'm breaking the lines up. There, I mean, if you no, counted the lines after, the each, after each action line, yes, she got five. 
Hang on a second. I'm going to look in the script. All right. Okay. Yes, Doctor. That's one. <laughs> Doctor Crusher. That's two. Uh, it's gone, and then that is connected to neuroelectrical yeah. activity in the cerebral cortex. So that's so. What is it? So it's Three. one, two, and then she has. And then on the second line, she has three lines that are sort of uninterrupted by Beverly. Yeah. So that's two. Um, and let me just see. We counted three, three, I believe. Yeah. I think that's... I would argue that we're the best podcast in the world at that's counting it. Nurse Ogawa's lines. <laughs> yep. You only didn't get it. She got an under five on that one. No one's better than us at counting Nurse Ogawa's lines. That's why you all listen, and thank you all so very much. If you want to listen to more of this show, head over to patreon.com forward slash Star Trek TNC. In the meantime, we'll see you next week for a very uh, Troy centric episode. It'll probably be a difficult one to get through. Here we go. I'm going to leave, Andy. Let's beam out, and hopefully, there's no creatures in here. Very good. Disengage. Oh my God, what's that? Just grab it. We'll be back. <laughs> okay. Oh, I saved the ship. It stayed a worm. <laughs> oh, no. Let's it's leave Cap- again. It's, it's Captain Hook Spider. <laughs> Let's bring it back. Let's leave it in the beam. <laughs> Follow Star Trek The Next Conversation on social media. You can find them on Instagram and Twitter at Star Trek TNC. On Facebook, search for Star Trek TNC and join the face group. Send comments, questions, prime correctives, and anything else to sttncpod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to leave a voice hail, call 816-TREK-TNC. That's 816-873-5862. For callers outside of the United States, use country code PLUS1. And don't worry, no one answers the phone. It's only for messages. If you've got something to mail to Matt or Andy, send it to Andrew Secunda, P.O. Box 46898, Los Angeles, California, 90046. And please send an email to let them know that something is coming. Finally, to support the podcast and get even more content, visit patreon.com forward slash Star Trek TNC. Be a lieutenant for only $5 per month or... Join the President Circle for $17.01 per month.